Well, again, welcome, welcome. I'm really, really glad you're here. Then I want to talk to you a, a little bit about something I'd like you to do. Now, how many of you know there's 52 Sundays normally in a year? So everybody, I would like you to come 50 times for yourself. But twice every year, I want you to come and bring somebody with you. Somebody that needs a touch from God, that's away from God, somebody that needs to get connected. But twice a year, don't just think about yourself, but reach out and bring somebody. Uh, I also wanted to make a correction. Um, this is not my first mistake, by the way, but I just wanted to let you know I made one. Uh, I had mentioned that I had never preached this sermon, Solomon says, in the church. I'd just done it for television. And uh, some of the staff came and said, no, you did that before. And I said, no, I didn't. How many of you have been, how many of you have, been, how many of you have known you're right <laughs> when you're not right? <laughs> so they, they, they said, oh, yeah, you did. And then they, they, they showed me in, in, in 2007, uh, I had uh, preached this series. And I went, wow, I'm wrong again. And Jeannie's like, yes, you are. No, I'm <laughs> right. But uh, uh, we, we noticed that uh, this is sermon number 5074 that I have uh, preached since we've, we've been here. And uh, I guess I'm getting them running together. I knew I had done it for television, but I didn't think I had for church. But we've been going over these like in my prep time and redoing them. And uh, Jesus said this, or he said, every, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasures things new and old. You know, and so we're talking about some old things. We're bringing in some new things that are talking about the, the uh, sayings that Solomon has for us. So I'm really, really excited about this series. Uh, I think it's one that's going to help every one of us in our life. Now, the name of the series is Solomon Says. Solomon, who God appeared to in a dream and said, ask me for anything. And he said, uh, I want wisdom. I want wisdom so that I can govern well. And God said, I'm so pleased that you've chosen that. He said, and because you've chosen wisdom, he said, I'm going to give you wisdom to the degree that no one before you has ever been as wise and no one after you will ever be as wise. And as a result of his wisdom, he became the richest man that ever lived and the greatest achiever of his generation. Now, he said, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. So, so wisdom is something you pursue. It is something that you go after that you need to get a hold of. It is not something that you're just born with. Wisdom is something that you obtain. The Bible says he surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches, and wisdom. And he makes a statement in Proverbs 22. He says, I've written for you 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge. Uh, he says, basically, he says, I want to help you with your life. He says, and I've got 30 different areas of your life that I want to give you some advice in. Now, you probably know this, but none of us ever reach our potential without help, without a mentor. That's why 50% of Nobel Peace Prize winners have a mentor who was a Nobel Peace Prize winner. That, that's why the best athletes in the world, that they get a personal coach to help them because they realize 
Everybody's got some blind spots. And with some help, every one of us can go farther than we could go alone. That's why top business executives, they get a life coach to help them make the best of their time, their energy, their efforts, help them see their blind spots. Well, Solomon says, I've got 30 things for you. And we are up to number eight, right? And it's in Proverbs 23, verses four and five. It says, don't overwork to be rich. Because of your understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. Uh, the, the, the richest man that ever lived wants to talk about money. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, but, but I realized not only was he rich, he was wise. And he's going to have some great advice for us. Now, here's what all of us know. All of us need money. You, you, you really, you cannot even live in this society without money. And there are problems that you will face that only money can solve. Hear that? There are problems that only money can solve. Now, this, this wise man and rich man, Solomon, he had a time in his life where he actually moved away from God instead of towards God. The Bible says that when he was old, that his wives turned his heart away from God. And he had married women from different nations and they were worshiping different gods. And during that time where he had moved away from God, he wrote a book that is in the Bible and it's called Ecclesiastes. Now, there's the, the theme of this book, and it's mentioned 29 times in the book, is under the sun, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. In other words, he's saying, if you look as a natural person looks and you do not consider spiritual things and you don't consider eternal things, if all you do is look at this life, he said, this is what you will see. Now, some of you are not even going to believe this is in the Bible, but here it comes. Listen, Ecclesiastes 10, 19. A feast is made for laughter. I like that. Wine makes life merry. Now, listen. And money is the answer for everything. In the Bible, money is the answer for everything. And if you look at a lot of situations and you do not consider the spiritual realm, it appears that money is the answer for everything. And by the way, there are a lot of problems only money can solve. Costco does not want prayer. <laughs> the electric company does not want your compassion. They want your money. Uh, it, it, the government, they want your money. April 15 is on the way. They want your money. Whether you're going to buy a house or see a doctor or go to a mechanic, whatever it is, Money is the answer. But here's the deal. People expect money to do more than money can do. People expect money to do what money cannot do. So the Bible talks about the deceitfulness of riches. That money will tell you that it can do things for you that it cannot do for you. So there's things... Costco wants your money. The government wants your money. The gas station needs your money. There are things that money solves, but money cannot make you happy. Money cannot give you value. Money cannot give you purpose. Money cannot give you significance. Money cannot solve your relationship problems. 
There are many things that money cannot solve. Jesus deals with this when he says you cannot serve God and money. He doesn't say you shouldn't. He said you can't. You can't do it. I can't do it. None of us can do it. So, so what we have to do is we need to put our trust, and we're going to talk about this in a bit, we need to put our trust in God. But here's, here's the assumption. The false assumption that we tend to make as people, particularly, I believe, in our society today, in Western culture, the consumption assumption. And the consumption assumption is this, that if it comes to me, it's mine and it's for me. If it comes to me, it's mine and it is for me. And the truth is this, that every time something comes to you or to me, there is a part of it that's not for you or me. There is a part of it that is supposed to be sown, that's supposed to be given, that's supposed to be a blessing elsewhere. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the, the Apostle Paul begins here talking really the exact opposite of what Solomon did in Ecclesiastes. Solomon is looking and he's looking like, okay, let, let, let's just say this is it. There's, there's just a natural life and there's nothing else. But now as, as Paul begins to talk, and, and you'll see too, as Jesus deals with this subject, they deal with it completely differently. 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present age. Now, when it says this present age or this present world, some of your translations saying, what it's saying is this, is that there is another world. And you can have a lot of money in this world but that does not mean that you are spiritually rich towards God. And so he's saying, there's not just a natural world, there's another world. In fact, he ends his, his dissertation here by saying to lay up for yourself a good foundation for the life or world that is to come. So he's saying, don't just look at a natural world, there's more. Now, command those who are rich. Now, I've talked about this a little bit before, but nobody thinks they're rich. Everybody who's rich looks at somebody who's richer. And, and the, the reason for that is this, that when you, when, when, when you value money more than you should value money, then you always want more. So that wise guy, Solomon, this is what he said. He said, whoever loves silver will never be satisfied with silver. In other words, no matter how much you get, you think you need, you think you need more to be safe. You think you need more because it's going to satisfy. You think you need more because it's going to give you significance. It's going to protect you. And you're constantly looking for more. Now again, command those who are rich. We always think somebody else is rich, but we're not. But I want you to know, listen, everybody, I am rich, you are rich. You don't think so, but you are. Do you realize that almost half of the people in the world live on less than $2.50 a day? $2.50 a day. Almost half of the world, over 3 billion people, live on $2.50 a day. And, and, and uh, you, you have problems, I know that. But all your problems are rich people problems. 
Cell phone reception's bad. That is a rich person problem. Your computer's messing up again. That is a rich person problem. You open the closet door. It's full. And you go, I have nothing to wear. That is a rich person problem. You understand that? You see, see, only rich people, only rich people do this. They've got they go in the kitchen. It's got countertops. It's got cabinets, stove, refrigerator, microwave. They tear out the cabinets. They throw away the refrigerator and the microwave and the stove and get a new refrigerator, new countertops, new cabinets. Rich people do that. You understand? See, rich people, they have car problems. If you have a car, you're a rich person. And if your car has a house, you are stinking rich. We, we think we, we, we don't realize how rich we are. So whether you think of yourself that way or not, if you look at the world that you live in, listen, you only need to make a little less than $40,000 a year to be in the top 1% of er wage earners in the world. And you know, a lot of people are mad at the one percenters. They are, they're mad at you. See, you're there. You don't realize you're rich, but you're rich. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Don't be proud. See, now notice the Bible is talking specifically to rich people. Because rich people have special problems. They have special temptations. And the first temptation is to think that you're special or significant because you have more than somebody else. And so the first thing the Bible says, if, if you're rich in this world's goods, it says, don't be proud, don't be haughty, nor put your trust in uncertain riches. Now, now the more that you have, the more the temptation is to put your trust in uncertain riches, to think that if I get more, I'll be safe. I can protect myself. I can take care of myself. And the Bible says, don't do that. It says, don't put your trust in riches. Put your trust in God. Put it in the living God. And I love this. Who richly gives us all things to enjoy. Listen, so when God blesses you, you shouldn't be ashamed that God blessed you. It says, when God blesses you, he does it so you can enjoy. Enjoy. Enjoy the blessings God gives him. Now, now this is where this goes. It says, let them do good. Now, it doesn't say be good. Now, you should be good. Don't get me wrong. But he's talking here and he says, look, wealth enables you to do things. And what you need to do with your money is you need to do good. Do good. Now, I don't think we have as much of this as we had years ago. But there's still some of us that have the idea that somehow money is bad. I remember growing up, uh, this would have been right around 1959, 1960. We, our family was in the car and we were in East Grand Rapids, which at that time was the elite part of, of town. And my sister, Diane, I think she's in this service someplace. She, she looked out the window and said, wow. Look at that house. And my parents said, yeah, it's a big house, but they're miserable. <laughs> you know, and they got all kinds of problems. 
Huh? Because money was bad. Money was bad. That was just kind of the, the thing that we had. Now, the Bible does not say money is bad. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But money itself is amoral. Money has no morality. If, if you're walking down Division Street and there's a drug deal going on in front of you and a police cart drives by and the, the drug dealers see it, they get nervous, they drop the money and they run. And you walk by and you see that bag and you kick it and hundred Benjamins just start coming out. There's a million dollars in the bag. Now, there are people who would say that's bad money, that's drug money, that's evil money. I would say that's my money. <laughs> now, here's what would happen. If I pick that money up, I'm not all of a sudden going to go, <laughs> where's the, where's the, I need some crack. Don't, don't laugh. That, will, that, will that money affect me? No. And that money will not affect you. You may have heard people say money changes people. No, it doesn't. What money does is it amplifies people. Money allows you to do more of whatever is in your heart. It doesn't make you do wrong or do right. But what it does is it enables you to do more. So the Apostle Paul says, do, let them do good, all right? Do what's in your heart. Now, there are people that would pick that up that would end, end up in a drug house somewhere because it was in their heart before they picked it up. I, I can tell you exactly what would happen. The very first thing Jeannie and I would do would be, we'd be giving a chunk to the kingdom. You say, why? Because that's what we always do. That's what's in our heart. So, so money is not evil, but when you put your trust in money, that's evil. That's the love of money. We're supposed to post our trust in God. Don't think money can do what it tells you, that it can keep you safe, that it can give you significance, that it can make you happy, that it can solve your problems, because it can't. It can't do that. So let them do good. Let them be rich in good works. Rich in good works. Now, we're going to go in just a moment, and Jesus is going to talk about this, and Jesus is going to talk about being rich towards God. Rich towards God. You can be rich in this world, but that doesn't mean you're rich towards God. When you do good, when you're, it says, ready to give, willing to share. It says, what you do then is you lay up for yourself a good foundation for the life that is to come. The life that is to come. So Jesus... In Luke 12, he tells a parable, and it's about the rich farmer. And this is what he says. He says, uh, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that they possess. In other words, you will not have a better life, a richer life, a more full life, a happier life by having more stuff. And, and I, I personally can attest to this. Jeannie and I lived in an Indian village in Mexico for two years. And I went to the most remote areas in Mexico. I mean, you'd have to walk sometimes up to 24 hours to get there. There's no electricity. There's no running water. There's no indoor plumbing. None of it. And you couldn't find happier people. You couldn't find happier people. It's not money's not going to make you happy. You think so, but it's not. 
So Jesus says, your life does not consist in the abundance of the things you possess. More possessions doesn't make you happier. More possessions doesn't make you more valuable. More possessions doesn't give you significance. More possessions don't give you purpose. And then he said this. He said, there was a certain rich man and his fields yielded plentifully. So he's already rich, right? And now this rich guy gets richer yet because his fields are yielding way more than expected. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? I don't even have room to store my crops. Now, this is what he said. This is what I'll do. I will pull down my barns and I'll build greater. And there I'll store all my crops and my goods. All my crops and my goods. Say it again. All my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, Jesus is speaking to a group of Jewish people. And this is what they believed. They believed that if God favored you, you were rich. If God did not favor, if he was displeased with you, you were poor. So they're listening. They're listening to this guy. And Jesus is about to turn their world upside down because Jesus is going to change what they've been thinking. He's going to say, you are not right. You think that money means God's favor and a lack of money means God's disfavor. These guys are thinking, you know what? That guy's really smart. That, that, that guy, I, 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 wish, I wish my kids could hang around with that guy and learn how to do what that guy is doing. Because that was their mentality. They thought that's what you do. When you get something, you keep it. You store it. You put, you put your trust in it. It's going to take care of you. But God said to him, you fool. Now, as far as everybody was concerned, this guy was brilliant. But Jesus said, God looked at him and said, you fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So you can be loaded in this life. But as far as God's concerned, you're poor. You're poor. Because the amount of wealth that you have in this life does not relate in any way at all to being rich towards God. So in Mark 12, Jesus with his disciples and they're right outside the temple. Now, what they would do is they set a box at the entrance to the temple. Now, there's, there's, four, there's four entrances. Everyone had a box. And as you entered or as you left, you were to put your offering in the box. So Jesus, the Bible said, he said, opposite the treasury to see how the people put money into the box. So he's watching them give into the treasury. And it says, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which is a quadrillion, and, and really uh, a mite was 128th part of a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage. So basically, she put in 
If you made $128 a day, she put in $2. Now, the thing to remember is that society was different than ours. Today, most of us spend between 12 and 15% of our money for food. In that society at that time, it was 60 to 75% of your money to feed yourself. So what she gave really was it, was, it was not a whole lot of money as far as being able to provide for herself or for her family. So she put in a couple bucks, but in a society where it, it didn't go very far. So Jesus called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all who have given to the treasury. Now, there were people putting in hundreds and thousands and maybe even tens of thousands of dollars for, in our economy. And Jesus said, this poor lady has just given more than any of them. Now, here's the reason why. Because we look at zeros. God does not. God looks at percentages. So this woman, her percentage was the highest. That's why almost always poor people outgive rich people. Now, it shouldn't be that way. Rich people have more zeros, but it's a smaller percent. And God's not impressed with our zeros. God is impressed with the percentage. And Jesus said, this woman gave more than everybody else. Now, here's what should happen. As our income increases, our percentage should increase. But statistically, the exact opposite happens. The amount is larger, but the percentage gets smaller and smaller. As the wealth increases, the amount is bigger, but the percentage is smaller. And, and here's, here's the truth. All of us give a percentage. Most of us have no idea what it is. But everybody's giving a percentage. And what typically happens is we give when there's a need. We give when we're at a banquet and they're, they're asking for something. And so we give sporadically and we give we're probably the best word. We don't think we are, but we're, we're really we're, we're giving in a stingy way. Because if we were to end up looking at our percentage, we'd find it was very small. But what we should do is we should plan our giving so that we're giving regularly and we're giving a percentage of what God has blessed us with. Somebody might want to talk about that percentage. Uh, I think the Bible's really clear. You can figure it out. So money cannot make you happy. Money cannot give you significance. And money, you might think it can, but it cannot keep you safe. Solomon says, you, you have it. He said, but somehow something happens and he said, just, it gets wings. Uh, this week, we, we as a church, we have, are helping right now to plant a church in Miami, Florida. And uh, the majority of the people in, in that church are coming from South America, from a very, very troubled nation, right? Having a lot of economic problems. I was talking with the pastor and he said, this year in Venezuela, there is going, the, the, the inflant, inflation rate is going to be 26,000%. 26, 
26,000%. He said people's life savings are just wiped out in matter of just a couple of months. Just a couple of months. You, see, you, you can think everything's safe, but things aren't safe. Things can, all sorts of different things can happen. But m- money can buy a bed, but it can't buy a good night of sleep. It can buy a computer, but not wisdom. Food, but not an appetite. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Amusement, but not happiness. Acquaintances, but not friends. Obedience, but not faithfulness. Sex, but not money. The wisest man who ever lived said, look, he said, if you just chase it, you're chasing the wrong thing. Because the number one pursuit of every one of our lives is supposed to be the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, it's peace, it's joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God can keep you safe. It can give you purpose. It can give you significance. It can keep you when things around you are falling apart. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all of these things. They will be added to you. Look, the world looks differently than God looks. Jesus said this, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world, but you lost your soul? What would it profit you? What he's saying is this, everything in this world is temporary, but every person is going to live someplace forever. You, you are immortal. You have a beginning, but you are never going to have an ending. Your body's going to die someday, but when it happens, the real you that lives on the inside is going to step out. And you're going to be carried, Luke chapter 16, you're going to be carried by angels faster than the speed of light to one of two locations. Your value, people, people's value is more than the entire world. Every person, everything you see is temporary, but every person is immortal. That's why I'm asking you, take two weeks this year and bring somebody, somebody who needs God, somebody who needs to get connected, someone who needs a touch. The deceitfulness of riches It comes to every single person and it says, I can give you significance. I can make you happy. I can keep you safe, but it's a lie. It's deceitful. It is deceitful. And every one of us, we might think we own something, but the truth is we're just stewards. Psalms 49, when when he dies, he will take nothing with him. His wealth will not go down with him. You know, if you and I really own something, and we died, we could take it with us. Somebody said a rich man died and said, how much did he leave? He left it all. Same thing everybody does. Everybody leaves it all. In fact, it's really interesting that Jesus said the way that you keep it is by giving it. He said, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt, where thieves do not break in and steal. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Now, you may be here today and you need to get right with God. You may say, I'm a Christian, but I don't know God. This is for you. I'm going to count to three in a moment. And I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. And when you lift it, you're not lifting it to me. You're lifting it to God. And you're coming to him today because you want to be a part of his family. You want to know God. Some of you, you're away from the Lord. You once lived for God, but you've drifted away. You need to come back to God today. This is for you. When I say three, lift your hand. We're going to pray. And God is going to meet you right here in this place today. And when we say amen, 
you're going to be right with God, forgiven. Past is going to be gone. You're going to be on your way to heaven. Now, you may say, but I know about God. I, I've been to church. I read my Bible. But the Bible says to as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to be the children of God. It is not enough that we know about God. We need to receive Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, as our King, as the one who paid for our sin, as the one who defeated death and rose again. And we need to give him all of our heart and all of our life. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. Not living for yourself, but living for him. Now, get ready to lift that hand if you need to come back, if you need to get right with God today. Right? As you lift your hand, you're saying to God, God, I know I'm a sinner, need a savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved, to be forgiven. One, as you lift that hand, you're saying today, I'm going to receive him. I'm going to give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to receive him as my king and my Lord. Two, now get ready. As you lift your hand, you're saying today, Jesus is going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. My past is going to be gone. I'm going to be right with God. I'm going to be on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Say, pray with me. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Up in the balcony. Pray with me. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Someone, thank you. God bless you. Over here to my right. Over here. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Others, thank you. God bless you. Over here, right in the front. Thank you. Three people. All right. Now, would everybody please stand? But if you lifted your hand, would you please look right at me? Right. Would you please move to the aisle that's nearest you? Make your way right down here. Bring your coat. Bring your purse. Br bring the person you came with. But slip over to that aisle and make your way right down here. God is going to meet us right here. We're going to pray. And when we say amen in just a moment, your past is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. If you're in the balcony, please make your way down. We'll wait for you. This is important. All right. You're going to give your life to Jesus today. And your life will never, ever be the same again. When you receive him, he receives you and he comes on in him. He said, I come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Awesome. Awesome. Proud of you. Now, Romans 10, verse 13. This is what it says. It says, whosoever, that means you and you and you and you will call on the name of the Lord. Now we're going to call on his name the way the Bible tells us to call on his name. And this is the rest of the verse. So this is God's promise. We'll be saved. So when you say amen, forgiven, right with God, child of God, he's going to come in, make you new. You're going to be on your way to heaven. All right. And all the way from the balcony, thank you for coming down, sir. God bless you. All right. Now, would you take one hand, place it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven where our help comes from. And let's pray this out loud together. Say, oh, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I give him all of my heart, and all of my life. I receive him today 
is my king, my Lord. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I am forgiven, that my past is gone, that I belong to you. I'm a part of your kingdom. I'm my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Most important decision you'll ever make.